Hi everyone, this is Rena from Handcuffed Podcast and today I'm joined by someone very, very special. Hi y'all, it's Candice from Crime Noir. Oh my gosh, I just love your accent. No, I love your accent. <laughs> Let's switch. No, please, if you could do a British accent, that would be so amazing. Oh, if I could... Hello. <laughs> Why does every American think we sound like that? I don't think I sound like that, but it's okay, girl. It's okay. It's okay. It's really cute and posh to me, though. Really? Very, very oh posh. Gosh. Mm, Over here, I could barely speak the Queen's English. It's not surprising. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. <laughs> good to be like collaborating with another black woman especially one that's across the sea mm-hmm. I think that's so dope that we get to like kind of sit and talk about true crime together and I think it's a dope opportunity and I'm glad that um you can be on my platform and I can be on yours as well and I just wanted to have a quick discussion about why you started your podcast and what your podcast is actually about My podcast, Crime Noir, is about missing and murdered Black women and men. I decided to start Crime Noir because I felt like our stories in the U.S. um, are barely told or they don't make national headlines. And I just wanted to get our stories out. I wanted to do something about it and just try to make a change, bring awareness and stuff like that. I mean, that's basically it. Mm. And do you, how is it being like a black female true crime host in the US? Um, I think it is okay. Um, like I said, it's been a really weird time for me these last couple of months because I feel like I've reached, I've been in like a little creative block, you know, and mm. just with all the things in the world going on, it's just hard to kind of sit and focus on stuff like this right now. So I would say it's been challenging but rewarding because it's cool when people like yourself want to connect and like work together. It makes me feel like I have a purpose. Um, But other times it's kind of lonely because you're all the way in UK and it's like I can't really sit and talk with people about this stuff because it's morbid, you know, or it can be morbid. So I would say it's a little it's 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 complex for sure. Yeah, and I agree. And I feel like in here in the UK, um, there's like no other true crime podcast hosted by a black person, a black female. So I definitely get that lonely aspect. Even though the true crime community are very welcoming, I still feel quite lonely. So that's the reason why um, I created my podcast. Um, like I cover all cases, but I, I definitely do try to cover more black mm-hmm. cases because it's similar to what you said. We don't get the same amount of coverage in the media compared to our white counterparts unless it's gang-related or knife, or it's a knife crime. Oh, good question, segue. So, like, is knife mm-hmm. violence the same as our gun violence here, or...? Um, yes, I wouldn't say it's the same because obviously gun is, is more severe, but I, yeah. I think yeah. the U.S. has anybody beat for like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah. um, but yeah, we, we definitely have like some sort of knife crime 
pandemic over here yeah I, I will say that we do obviously I'm not a professional so some people might argue and say that we don't but we definitely I believe we definitely have a problem like every month or every other month we lose someone to mass crime and it's always a young black mm-hmm. individual mostly that's child. sad so it is a definitely a problem. There's been many campaigns to try to battle it, but boy, you just have to keep trying, I guess. Um, but yeah, we don't have guns, thank God. And our police don't have, well, only some special units and our police forces have guns. And even still, they don't necessarily use their guns often. Wow. Because, yeah, if you use your gun, you have to go through like a whole procedure. Um, so they're they're more careful um, when it comes to using their guns. It's yeah. very, that's a very um, distinct kind of difference between us and the U.S. and the U.K. for sure. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we, we have tasers. Oh. Um, so officers do use tasers. And they're considered as firearms in the oh. U.K. Um, yeah so when an officer uses a taser they have to justify it so um i will say that even though um no police force is great i am glad that they do have strict firearm policies okay interesting very 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 much different than the united states for sure Oh, very, very. But yeah, so I just going back to why I started the podcast. Just be- there, there are black people out there that like true crime as well, and but majority of the community are mm-hmm. white. Uh, majority of hosts are mm-hmm. white, and I just felt like I enjoy listening to different types of true crime podcasts, but there was still a bit of a disconnect. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you felt this way, but I, I like to kind of connect to the host and when they refer to, I don't know, their pers- things in their personal life or things in um, like current affairs that I can relate to it. And I just felt like I wasn't relating to a lot of podcasts. Um, so that's why I created my own. So just in case someone else like me was listening, they can understand what I'm saying they understand um, the slang I'm mm-hmm. using. They understand the references I'm using. And, yeah, it was just another way to draw more people into true crime. And it's to raise awareness as well. Like, I'm not a professional, but it's about starting that conversation. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think diversity in anything is great. And it is nice to have another Black woman to talk to um, about true crime and just discussing our cases and stuff like that but i think overall the true crime community does a great job of bringing awareness to cases so let's get started today i am visiting the state of ohio okay um and we are going to cleveland okay and i didn't realize that cleveland has a lot of serial killers Uh Like, so um, in 2009, the police arrested Anthony Sowell mm-hmm. 
for killing 11 women. Mm. And then in May 2013, Ariel Castro was arrested for kidnapping and keeping captive three girls in his basement. Mm-hmm. Yep, I remember that. I remember, but I was, you know, well, 2013, I wasn't that young. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I think he killed himself too once he went to jail. Mm-hmm. But yeah. today, I'm going to be speaking about Michael Madison who is another well-known serial killer. I have not heard of Michael Madison. Mm-mm. Oh, well, that gets me a bit more excited because then it feels like, you know, all brand new to you. <laughs> yeah, let's get it. I'm actually Googling now because I'm curious. No, you can't Google. This is how you know she's a true true crime fan because that's what we do we watch shows yeah and we're already googling and solving the case before the show's finished exactly i already got a theory i know who did it i know what the police did wrong rookie mistake girl rookie mistake (laughs) but anyway let me get started i'm gonna go through um his early life so michael was born in october on october 15th 1977 to parents Diane Madison and John Baldwin. Mm. Madison's mother also had another son from a separate relationship. And Madison didn't really have it easy growing up. His father actually never claimed him because he was a product of an accidental pregnancy. Mm. Um, According to Cleveland.com, Madison's mum was also a product of a dysfunctional family Madison's grandmother left his grandfather when his um, mum, Diane, was young and his grandmother became a heroin addict and started working as a prostitute. So his mum had a hard childhood and then now he's having a hard childhood. That's sad. Yeah. So when Madison was two years old, his mother stuffed so much food down his throat he eventually started vomiting and then when he would vomit she would throw him in the tub um filled with hot water and then if he started to cry she would take him out and then start to beat him with an extension cord wow she abused him yeah she was very savage yeah that's sad at the age of three one of his mother's boyfriends beat him severely that um, it resulted in Madison losing hearing in one of his ears. Eventually, he was taken away from his mother's custody mm-hmm. while she received counselling and mm-hmm. he was placed with his grandmother. She was a reformed heroin addict and former prostitute by the time he went back into her care. She was not doing it anymore? No, so I'm guessing that... Um, Maybe age has caught up to her. Okay. And okay. hopefully, like, life experiences and she's... Yeah, so she was reformed. So hopefully she just realised that it was just time to stop. She's getting older and... Right. And yeah. Well, that, that's just my assumption, but I don't, I don't know her reasons. Right. Makes sense. So um, eventually, Madison returned to his mother's care but 
the abuse from his mother and her boyfriends continued. Mm. Psychological experts believed the helplessness and lack of nurturing relationships led him to develop an alternate world in his mind where he could take control of his life. Mm-hmm. That disassociation with his childhood abuse fueled hatred towards women. Yeah, I can imagine how being abused by your mom shapes your view of women. I can imagine that. Yeah, it's sad, unfortunately, but I could see how that ha- happens if your mom is beating you to death, nearly to death and starving you or overfeeding you and stuff like that. I could see that. Sickening, though. But don't you think, like, there was also other women in his life that he probably went to school, um, probably had female teachers, um, of female classmates. Do you think that wasn't that never influenced him? It could because surely he would have interacted with other women or females because he was it young. Definitely could shape, but I feel like your mom is your first line of defense, just like your dad is your first line of defense. So if they are abusing you or whatever, your opinion may be jaded. As dumb as that sounds, it's a reality for millions of people. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is very true. And maybe they, I mean, I don't know if they ever saw any of the abuse or anything like that, but maybe he just didn't feel protected. I don't know. It could be mental illness. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And it's a cycle of abuse as well. It sounds like it was very very severe yeah agreed so at the age of 17 madison was charged for inappropriate inappropriately touching a classmate and at the age of 20 he was sentenced to jail for drug abuse in 2002 he was convicted of attempted rape after dragging a young woman to an alley fortunately the police turned up, which frightened him, and he oh, ran away. Scary. He was later identified and sentenced to four years in prison and un- ordered to undergo sex offender treatment. Okay. How do you feel about sex offender treatment? Do you think sex offenders c- can be re- rehabilitated? Uh, no. <laughs> I really don't think so, in my personal opinion. And I've read a lot of cases where, you know, they get out and do their or they go to jail, do their time and they come back reoffending. I do think some circumstances are like a little bit different, like a pedophile versus somebody who dated somebody when they were 19 versus 16 should be way kind of differently. But for the most part, I do not think they can be rehabilitated. No. Mm -mm. What about you? Um. I think in reality, no. They have to see what they're doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you do hear of those um, cases where people realise that they're not well because I do think it's a mental illness to be a paedophile because that's just not right. Um, And they try to seek help before they Mm. offend. And I feel like if you can notice that you're not well and you've got this really sick twisted urge I mean yeah I'm still gonna (laughs) it's a lot of nuance it's It's a lot of nuance 
because you won't be comfortable around that person even if they haven't offended you still won't be comfortable knowing that they have these thoughts exactly that's how I feel I mean I wouldn't feel comfortable around them even if they had an offend and most people that are offenders probably wouldn't feel comfortable going on the ledge and saying I'm attracted to children or whatever the case because for that exact same reason you know what I mean exiled shunned and stuff like that so no I'm gonna go with no so when Madison was released, he had to register himself as a sex inf- offender. But instead of using his own address, he used his mother's, who also um, lived in Cleveland. Okay. So he was trying to dodge the system already mm-hmm. from the moment that he yeah. came out. Sounds about right. Um, he lived in East Cleveland after prison, which has a population of 17,500 people. I don't even know if that's a lot. Like, I never think of those things. Like, how many people live in my area? Oh, that's a lot. Of yeah, I don't think that's too many, but I, I, get, I don't think about that either. I'm just like... But you know what? Now with corona, I am kind of thinking about the population. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? going to start Googling the um, population and then start Googling the rate of infections. Exactly. And, oh, exactly. I just get obsessed with numbers. I agree with you. So Madison was romantically involved with a woman called Brittany Darby and she later moved into his apartment in October 2012. But to her surprise, Madison had like a change of tune and was like, oh, I want to have an open relationship. So then he started inviting another woman to, to the house whilst Brittany was staying in the spare room a woman called Shanta Mahone would also come in and out of the house. So she was basically his other wifey. So an open relationship should be agreed upon both parties. Not one party takes, you know, lead in an open relationship. To me, it sounds like you are just okay with him seeing other women. (laughs) That's what it sounds like seriously that's not an open relationship but then again we like we don't know how violent Very this guy true. is maybe Very she true. did try and say but then we know you know men are trash men are mad mm-hmm. so. no comment <laughs> <laughs> sorry not all men just yeah. some of you some, mm-hmm. some of you but yeah I really I really don't know because if that happened to me I'll be Same. out I would leave. Same. But also, like we said, we don't necessarily know the manipulation, what she Mm -hmm. could have been enduring. So we could give her the benefit of the doubt. For now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hmm. Well, this next part, I'm just like, how much more doubt can there be? So Brittany Darby says she started to notice an overpowering smell of decomposition from his house. And then when she tried to search for the origin of the smell, Mm -hmm. so she approached a cupboard, Madden stopped her and told her, you don't want to see that, it's gruesome. Mm -hmm. Thinking nothing of it, she continued to mind her business. Mm -hmm. That's when I'm just like, okay, so you have this guy that you moved you moved into his house and then shortly after 
he said, I want an open relationship and has the audacity to invite the other woman to the house. Mm. And then he starts smelling something really fishy and you don't investigate further. I don't know if it's just because I'm a true crime fan. I think women go against their better judgment and intuition. That's what I personally think it is. And sometimes women just want men at all costs. So it's sometimes they rather have the worst man on earth than to be alone. So it could be a combination of all those things. I think that's what we call digmatized. <laughs> like, <laughs> literally. Yeah. That has to be the definition. <laughs> I don't know what else. I really don't know what else could turn someone that crazy. But, you know... Well, of Madison's neighbours also reported the foul smell coming from his apartment. Um, but this time, the smell was coming from the garage. When the officers turned up to investigate the smell, which could have been anything, because um, he told Brittany that it was animals, like some animals came in and died. Mm-hmm. They actually found a garbage Bag. I feel so weird saying a garbage bag. We call it bin bags. We call it garbage bags. So I'm gonna use bin bags <laughs> <laughs> or trash bags. Trash bags. Okay, we say trash. The trash. Yeah. Okay. But most of the time, we say bin. So they found bin bags, um, and inside were the remains of a woman. Mm. Her body was folded in, found folded in half, wrapped in several mm. bags and tied with duct tape or some sort of cord. Mm-hmm. Madison was arrested on July 19th, 2013. So only seven years ago. That wasn't that long ago. Um, during a 10-hour inter- interrogation, Madison admitted to killing the woman found in his garage and led the police to two additional bodies located near his home Mm. the second body was found in another backyard located close by Mm -hmm. and the third body was found nearby madison's home buried in a basement of an abandoned house wow right so when the police initially found the bodies of these three females, they couldn't actually confirm their identities due to the level of decomposition. That's sad. But they said that they'll be using dental records, DNA and fingerprints to try and identify them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but the Kuyahoga, Ooh, is that a place? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's some sort of police force. Okay, okay. Okay. I'm shaking my head. Mm-hmm. Is Cuyahoga County <laughs> appealed to the public to help them identify one of the females? Okay. Um, but soon after, they were all identified. The first victim found in Madison's garage was 18-year-old Sherelda Helen Terry. Mm. Sherelda was last seen on July 10th, 2013, mm-hmm. leaving her summer job at Cleveland Elementary School. 
So 18 is so young. Um, it's sad. It, it's very sad. Does, does it say, were these women he was seeing or he snatched? Do we know? Well, I couldn't really find more detail about how they made contact. Mm-hmm. But his charges tell me that it was kidnapping. Okay. Um, yeah, because he got charged for kidnapping. But I'll come on to that. Um, the body of 38-year-old Angela Deskins was found in the backyard. Mm. Angela Deskins was reported missing in June 2013, and she also lived in Cleveland. Mm. And then lastly, 28-year-old Shatisha Sheely, who had been missing since September 2012, was found buried in in a in the basement of the abandoned house. That's sad. Yeah. And they were all um black women. Mm. I don't know if I actually mentioned that Michael Madison himself was black as well. No, but I looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> so the police also searched Madison's home where they found further evidence of decomposition, strengthening the link between the victims and Madison. Just like um, Sherelda, Angela Deskin and Shatisha Sheely were also found folded in half, wrapped up in several bins, bin bags. Madison told investigators, in math, like two bodies, one body is not greater or equal, he said. I mean, it's pretty much equal, one body is enough. One body is enough to, you know, pretty much do away with you as far as society. One is pretty much to two, three, four, five, five. If there's three, I'm pretty sure there's more. Yeah, I, I'd i have to agree that he's done more than three women. Do you think? Yeah, I, uh, but... That's just a conspiracy theory in me. I think that these things don't exist in a vacuum. And that's just my personal opinion. Um, The conspiracy theorist in me always believes a serial killer always has more bodies that have not been found or that we don't know about. And I'll even add a caveat. Even if it's not like murder, it might be like more rapes, et cetera, et cetera. More, More harm to women. That's what I truly believe. Yeah, I I don't know if there's more though because I truly think he's a careless serial killer. Mm. Like the way he hid, he's either really careless or he just is very cold hearted and just doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Like maybe he was just waiting to get caught because um, even with the kidnapping of the woman in the alleyway. Um, he got caught very easily. He hid the body inside his home when he had someone else living there. He hid all the bodies within reach of his own house. And I'm not trying to say he should have done a better job, but I just feel like... I just don't know if he could have done more. Right. And I can, I can see that perspective too. But I do agree that he probably did abuse and harm more women. So after... Madison made that statement. This prompted investigators, um, joined by hundreds of volunteers, 
to scope the rest of the neighborhood for additional victims. So you're right, they actually did think, okay, he's probably done, he probably has more victims out there. Mm-hmm. But they never found any. Interesting. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. How comes it was so easy to find these three bodies, but they can't find anything afterwards? Yeah, anything else. Unless he was really good and they just started losing it and wanted to get caught. A medical examiner working on the investigation stated that Sherelda Terry and Angela Deskins were strangled with an object, such as a rope or cord. The level of decomposition was too severe to determine the cause of death for Shatisha Sheely and her death was ruled as a homicidal, homicidal violence by unspecified means. However, some reports say it was Angela's death that was difficult to determine. Dang, and he never admitted it. He, he did admit it. He led the police to their bodies. No, I'm saying like he never admitted how he killed them. Oh no 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 no! I couldn't I couldn't find anything where he described how. That sucks. At the age of 35, Madison appeared in court and was charged with aggravated murder, which meant he could potentially face the death penalty. Mm-hmm. He was held on a whopping six million dollar bond. <laughs> Damn. And. How does bond work over in the US? Typically, you have to pay 10% of that. So that would have been 600,000, I think, or something Um, like that. That's like what a small flat in London would cost. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -mm. He wasn't getting out. No, no way. I'm surprised that they even gave him bond. Maybe it's because... And I didn't want to pull the black card, but I'm going to because the victims were black. Maybe. maybe. Or maybe they, maybe they gave him some kind of rope just because he led the police to the other bodies. I really don't know. Yeah, that sounds more like the smarter answer and non-conspiracy <laughs> answer. It's okay. I love a good conspiracy. <laughs> Um, so Madison also waived his rights to a um, preliminary. I can never say this word. Preliminary hearing. Okay. And some of the reasons why someone might do that, in, and I actually got this information from a site called Legal Encyclopedia. Uh-huh. So someone might waive their rights if they intend to plead guilty. Uh-huh. If they are guilty of more than the charged offences and they fear they will receive charges from the potentially damning evidence that may come out of the hearing. Mm. The prosecution's case is strong and defence fears that a prosecution witness may become so entrenched in their position once they testify under oath and that they may become angry or angrier with the defendant and possibly refuse later interviews requested by the defence. Mm-hmm. The prosecution intends to call witnesses at the hearing who may be unavailable at the time of the trial. Um, so a transcript would usually be provided in the trial, but if they waive it, then the witness has no chance of providing an account. 
or the defendant is trying to stall in hopes by the time that the case comes to trial, the witnesses will have disappeared, forgotten or become confused about what happened. Mm-hmm. So those are quite a few loopholes given to a defendant. It, very much so. I'm I'm actually kind of shocked hearing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was shocked when I read that too. Um, especially the part where it says they hope that the witness will disappear. Like, where are they going? Yeah, that's that's strange. But you know what? People have been killed and stuff before testifying in trial. So it's not completely unheard of. No. Which is bad, but it's the truth. So the prosecutors were reaching for the death penalty. Mm-hmm. They showed evidence of Madison leaving the victim's at the back of his apartment in clear sight before moving them to where he bur- to their burial spaces. Oh, he wanted to be caught. This is what I'm saying. He must yeah, have. Mm-hmm. And they even had evidence that he went to visit a hardware store to buy more black bags. Um, the prosecutors wanted to show how callous Madison was and how he had no regard for human life. Mm. In order to avoid the death penalty, the defence used uh, Madison's childhood to show he was also a victim of abuse. The defence stated in court, this individual has no foundation on which to make the proper choices. The evidence will show that Mike's life was further influenced by a disturbed family tree comprised of generations of physical abusers, sex abusers, literally a family tree of abuse. Mm. Um, I do feel for any child that gets abused because no child deserves that. I agree. But as you grow into an adult and if you can tell right from wrong... I can't understand how you would turn to murder. Yep, I agree. So that that's quite a uh, weak defence. But I know probably that defence has worked in other cases. Probably has. I mean, I'm 100% with you. As crappy as it may be, having a crappy childhood doesn't absolve you from murdering or killing and stuff like that that's just my personal opinion yeah 100% as as horrible as it sounds there are other people who have been abused and mistreated that don't go on a murdering spree exactly so that's not gonna fly Mm -mm. so during the trial um, there was a lot going on they actually gave him an iPad to distract him and that's quite a dickhead move, t- to be honest. Wow. Especially when you have the families of the people that you killed sitting right there. Agreed. Um, Were they worried about him having outbursts or something? Like, what was that about? So they said that it calmed him down. From what, though? <laughs> I mean... Exactly. He was actually allowed to keep it. Okay. But one of the grandmothers of the victims was asked not to return to court because she had an emotional outburst and she shouted, I hope you rot in hell. 
before storming out. Oh, jeez. I mean, under, understandable, though. Mm-hmm. I don't know how people do it. Like, oh, even thinking about it is making my blood boil. Like, if I was sitting across the room from someone that murdered my loved one, I wouldn't be able to keep the compo- keep my composure. Me either. I don't think most people would. But then you have some people that go hugging their brother's murderer. <sighs> no, no comment. <laughs> I mean, there are people out there. But you know what? I'm not going to police anybody's uh, response to grief or how they deal with super tragic situations such as these because I've never been in that situation. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, so it's true. It's true. It's easy to say, oh, I would be in there tearing the courthouse up, but really... Huh? No, but I'm saying we can say that, but would you? Like, would we really exactly, do that? Exactly. You, you really don't know. So I try to give people grace and stuff like that. I have my own personal opinions about how I would handle things, but, you know, people handle things differently, and there's really no wrong or right way to handle grief because it's yours to deal with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I think we always go with the initial human reaction. But what really broke my heart was when I read, and there's even a video I watched, was when Sherelda Terry's father, Van Terry, um, was asked to give a statement about the loss of his daughter. Uh He literally told the judge, I guess we are supposed to find it in our hearts to forgive this clown who has taken my child. Mood. Then my guy leaped across the defense table and charged for Madison. Done. Like he went shoom like the when I watched the video I was like, no way. And like Good. you said, you can you never know how someone's gonna react because I would want to do the same, but then also you could be arrested or even You could be holding con- what is it, content? Yeah. Content. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's all of those things that you have to think about as well. And especially if there's press there. I mean, that's that's caught on the internet forever now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, Very true. But I, I completely understand why he did it. Yeah, me too. For sure. But this cynical man actually smirked in front of Van oh, Terry. No. Oh, no. He, he <laughs> cracked a smile. He cracked a smile. Mm. Mm-mm. Over 500 people attended Sherelda's funeral two weeks after her body was discovered. The service was decorated with ladybirds because that's what her mum, Belinda, called her. Oh, and good. I thought that was just so, like, bittersweet because yeah. it, it's nice to know that they had that little bond, but it's, like, it's not fair what she, what they have to go through. Um, Yeah, Madison's trial lasted, I believe, two months from April to June 2016. The jury took less than a day to reach a unanimous guilty verdict. Judge Nancy McDonnell sentenced Madison to death on Thursday, June 2nd, 2016. 
Madison is the fifth person on death row in Cuyahoga County. Mm-hmm. Interesting fact, though, he might actually never get executed. Okay. Because, Why? Because executions are placed on hold in Ohio after Dennis McGuire, who is, sent to, who is scheduled to be executed um, in January 2013, spent 15 to 20 minutes gasping and choking from a modified lethal drug. So they basically did a botched execution and he suffered for 15 to 20 minutes. Wow, that's kind of Mm, crazy way to go. And drug suppliers have also decided to pause the sales of execution drugs and experimental lethal drugs to um, state corrections. Okay, so he'll just be on, what, death row? Or they might... Yeah. Okay. He might just be on death row until it's his time to go naturally or whatever Or they could just give him life in prison. That's what um, his defence wanted. They wanted life in prison, but he got death. (laughs) He deserved it. But lucky for him, they don't even have to drug to put him to death. Yeah. Oof. That's interesting. Yeah. But a final twist to the story. Oh, Lord, not one more twist. I can't take no more. (laughs) I love twists and turns. So in June 2019, has it even been a year? 62-year-old Diane Madison was murdered by her 18-year-old grandson, Jalen Plummer. He also stabbed his 12-year-old brother, 10-year-old sister, and 10-year-old cousin by entering their rooms whilst they were sleeping. Wow. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. Did they say why, though? Did he say why he did that? No. To be honest, I didn't go too deep into it. But, what? like, there's not many articles about him. I guess because it just happened last year. So the trial might not have happened yet. That's actually really scary. That is scary, right? And it just makes me think, like, why? Was she abusing the grandchildren too? See, that's what makes me think. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on there. Mm, It's a bit scary. Very, very scary. We might need to follow up on that because I'm curious as to... Maybe, you know, we could keep tabs on the trial or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like to do that. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Uh, what a way to go, like... I know. I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel sorry for her, but then I, like, I remember that, okay, she abused her child. Do I really feel sorry for her? But then I don't believe in, like, the death penalty and stuff, so... I, I'm indifferent about the death penalty, <laughs> But I agree really? that should be murdered. Yeah. That makes sense. Kind of contradictory, but I mean, yeast. That's 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 a that's a dark story we just covered. I know, right? <laughs> so yeah, guys, that was the case of Michael Madison serial killer of Cleveland 
Yikes. So thanks guys for listening. Uh, it's Brina from Handcuffed. You can follow me on Twitter at handcuffedpod and Instagram handcuffed podcast. And please don't forget to review on iTunes podcast. Please. <laughs> And it's Candace here from Crime Noir. You can follow me on Twitter at CrimeFNoir, or you can follow me on Instagram at Crime Noir the Podcast. And I appreciate you guys for listening.